Many of you know that uh, this week our daughter Lydia spent a couple days in the hospital. I was with her for most of that time. Um, thank you for praying for her. She is okay. She was here this morning. It's weird condition that uh, she's fine until she's not, and then uh, <laughs> and then it's a, a little bit hairy. But she's she's okay uh, right now. I'm grateful for that. But I had about 40 hours to wander around the hospital. Uh, it's an interesting community. I know some of you work there all the time, and you see various things. We came into the emergency room uh, at Butterworth, and then we were shuttled over to the children's hospital because of uh, just room arrangements with the coronavirus, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I was at the cafeteria, different places. And there's so many people at the hospital, uh, different people. Uh, people from all walks of life, uh, ethnicities, backgrounds, people who were more obviously well-to-do, some people who looked like they were uh, more on the scrape-by level. Uh, there were people there who were in very desperate places in their life. Uh, so hard to be in the children's hospital and see some of these little kids who are, are so sick and, and clinging so tenuously uh, to life. Then there are other people, especially in the emergency room, you can see that uh, are there because of some of the choices that they have made in their lives, not judging those folks, uh, you know, the whole background of everything that's led them to that. I don't know those things, but my point is, is that it's a, it's a diverse group of people who are all filled with needs of one sort or another and all come seeking for answers. They're seeking for help. And in that sense, the hospital is an awful lot like a church. Uh, it's this congregation of people from every walk of life. It's this congregation of needs, uh, some that are more serious than others, some that are uh, a little deeper to try to understand than others. Some of them uh, are, are self-inflicted. Others of them we were just born with. Um, uh, but we all come seeking the great physician, uh, the one who can meet us. And I want you to think about that this week as we, or this morning as we read 2 Kings chapter 4. We could spend some time looking deep into each one of these stories, but kind of the way the Lord led me this week was to look at the entirety of chapter 4 and, and to see the different people, the different needs uh, that are all represented in this remnant congregation. You remember, Elisha is ministering to the 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Uh, and uh, they are all sorts of different people and different needs that are represented here. And as we see this, I think we are able then to move to our own situation and, and draw a lot of comfort and insight into the community of God's people. So we're going to read the chapter in its entirety. Uh, Susan's going to read uh, the first pericope for us. I'll read the middle, and then Ben will finish off uh, with the last section. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. 
Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. She went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold me. Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, Say now to her, see, you've taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and Elisha said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, uh, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to the servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on, his, on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up, and she laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and she went to the, came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And he said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. 
If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. And therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came to the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. And so he went in and shut the door behind the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. And then he went up and he lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. And then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house. And he went up and he stretched himself on him. And the child sneezed seven times. Uh, And the child opened his eyes. And then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And so he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. And she came and she fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered it from it from his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they couldn't eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give it to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Word of the Lord, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We pray with me, Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts as we walk through this, your word. So many years ago, almost uh, 2,800 years ago, this word was, uh, these events happened. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bring this ancient text into our modern world and that you would help us to understand, to grow, to apply the very things that you would have us to hear. Lord, we know we need your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's quite a diverse group of people that we meet in 2 Kings chapter 4. I have two points for you today. Uh, The first is to look at the congregation, the the mixed people with mixed needs. And then secondly, to look at God, uh, how he enters into uh, this mixed group of people with these mixed needs and how he works his grace in the midst of those circumstances. And my prayer is, is that you'll see yourself. You know, I was thinking about that as I was sort of walking through the hospital. Do I see myself here? You know, no, not me, not me, not me. Oh, maybe me. You sort of look to see yourself. Sometimes we we go into church and even think that way. Do we see ourselves here? 
More, more importantly, though, the question is, does God see us? Uh, and I think the answer is absolutely. Uh, and we shall see that even more as we look at the, the rich uh, sort of tapestry of this text. It starts with just a mixed people. Did you kind of take note of some of the different people that we've met here? We see men and women. Uh, this is always something that is key to God's uh, scriptures and God's story. Uh, God works significantly in the lives of both men and women throughout the pages of the scriptures. Um, in, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, in ways that were even somewhat defying of cultural norms at that time, God is no respecter of persons. He, he works and he comes to both men and women, rich and poor. We see that in, in this text. We're told the section that Susan read that we meet a very poor woman, a woman who's dealing with creditors and debts. Uh, God sees her. He knows where she is. He doesn't forget her. And then, of course, in the section that I read, you're reading with uh, you're meeting with the Shunammite woman who we're told was a wealthy woman. They have resources and they can put an addition on their house in order to uh, house uh, additional uh, folks as they're coming through. She has resources to share. God is no respecter uh, of, of rich or poor. We see some people here who have made a vocation out of following the Lord. We see the sons of the prophets. We see farmers and we see uh, people who are making their living off the land just in very ordinary ways. God is no respecter of vocation. All of these things remind us that God, uh, God, the congregation of God's people, God's people are a mixed group. And that's so encouraging to me. Uh, and hopefully it's encouraging to you. I think there are two things that we can say just by way of application here. The first is just for ourselves. Wherever your journey is, however you find yourself, whether you find yourself rich or poor, male or female, you found yourself uh, in a vocation that is specifically Christian or something uh, that is uh, more secular in its vocational orientation, wherever you are, God has a place for you in the congregation. Uh, and, and this is something, again, that is, is so so life-giving. We don't have to look a certain way. We don't have to fit a certain mold. I think about that in the hospital. You know, there are all sorts of different people there because they're united by a common need. I think about that with our congregation. God draws us together from all different walks of life because we are searching for uh, a common uh, solution to a common need. We're searching for Jesus Christ. Then, of course, secondly, not only do we take a personal encouragement from that, but we also uh, are reminded of that just in terms of our own interactions with one another. Uh, one of the reasons why I love the church, and particularly why I love this church, is because we're not all the same. Uh, we we have come from all different backs of life, walks of life. We have different political views. We have uh, different uh, child-rearing philosophies. We, we have all sorts of things that make us a mixed community. Uh, and it's such an important thing to remember that, that God has a community that is made up of mixed people. And so one of the things that we do to be God-like 
is to embrace those differences, to embrace people that come to us from different walks of life and not force them to all get into one mold. Uh, That's not the way the remnant uh, that God's congregation looks like. The second thing that we notice here in the congregation is not only are they coming from all different walks of life, uh, but they come with all sorts of different needs. Uh, see that in a couple different ways. You, the passage that Ben read for us uh, largely focused on food. And this is a big thing in the Elijah-Elisha stories, kind of just meeting the basic needs of life, food, water, shelter, all of these things. Uh, and that reminds us that for many of us, this, is, this constitutes our life. We have these basic needs. And God knows about those basic needs. He allows us to speak those basic needs to us. He intervenes to help us meet the basic needs, whether it's rotten meat in the pot or whether it's making an abundance out of a little. Uh, God cares about the basic needs that we have in life. But there are other kinds of needs. There are also these needs that are brought upon by calamity. You see that in the first seven verses of this passage, the passage that Susan read. Here we meet a woman whose husband has just died. A calamity has come upon them in life. And as a result, they are poor. They had debts to begin with. Maybe he was in seminary. He was one of these sons of the prophets. Uh, He had taken out some loans. uh, And then he died. Uh, So now not only do they have the loans, but they also have Uh, Nobody who can work, who can bring in any money for the family because the sons are younger. And uh, so they're facing all of this debt. And it's a reminder to me that, you know, there are different ways. Sometimes we look at poverty and we want to put it all in one bucket. You know, we want to say poverty is a result of bad choices in life. Well, it can be. Uh, That's one way poverty is displayed. But another way that poverty is displayed is as a result of calamity. Uh, If your home is destroyed in a hurricane, uh, that's not your fault. Uh, You may find yourself impoverished in a way that you are now, but calamity has come in your life. If your husband dies and you have no other way to to get income, that's a calamity. And some of you come uh, into church in those ways. You come into the congregation just with uh, uh, situations in life, one after the other, it seems sometimes, that have brought us into this place of need. And so as a congregation, we need to be attuned to see that, to meet those needs. So grateful for our deacons who lead the way in in some of that ministry, uh, who are ready to step in when calamity strikes in somebody's life, job loss, uh, death, all of these different things. Uh, grateful for that. Uh, But then also we need to recognize individually that that when these things happen in our life, uh, we need to be able to approach and we need to be able to go into the congregation, into the community and seek the help that we need. The last type of need that we see here is really in the Shunammite woman. I, I find her so interesting. I was really drawn to her as I was studying this week, verses 8 to 37, the passage that I read, her needs aren't so obvious, are they? Uh, in fact, uh, on the surface, she's got everything together and she portrays as a strong person. 
Uh, she's wealthy. Uh, she's generous. It seems that she is, is well settled in the community. She said, I dwell among my people. Um, she, uh, she has a difficult time, even when things are going bad, stating her needs. Uh, she doesn't even tell her husband that the child has died. She doesn't tell Gehazi that the child has died. All is well, she says. So here we meet a woman who, on the surface, everything goes well. And even when things go poorly, she's strong. Uh, so this is kind of the portrait of this woman. But as we see, she has a deep, deep wound. Uh, and, and how do we see that? Well, we see that as Elisha is trying to decide, can we do anything for you? Can I go to the king? Can I go to the commander of the army? Elisha had just spent some time with the kings and the armies in 2 Kings chapter 3, so he's got an in there. This apparently is the society that the Shunammite woman rolls in, so he suggests that. She said, no, I, it's okay. I dwell among my own people. I'm content. But Gehazi then points out she doesn't have a son and her husband is old. Now, we don't know if she has no children. Uh, she may have daughters, but she doesn't have a son. And like we said, uh, sons, men are important in that society because they're the ones that do the work. If the husband is old, maybe he's going to die soon. How are they going to have uh, income? All of those things. A and so Elisha says, okay, that's a good idea. Call her here. And then he says to her, at the same time next year, you shall embrace a son. And notice what her response is. Her response is, no, my Lord. Oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. When Elisha unearthed this desire in her heart, you realize that she's really built walls around that. She has really protected this, and she can't name it herself. And even when somebody else names it, it's difficult for her to acknowledge. Why? Well, she doesn't want to go there. Because there, there is a, a wound there that uh, maybe she sat with for many years and has come to some sort of peace with it. Maybe she has built her own protections around that. And, and she cannot speak to that. Notice, you know, she's angry with Elisha in verse 28. After the child dies and she talks to Elisha, she says, Did I not, or did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She said, I, I knew this was happening. I knew this would happen. I can't trust you. I can't trust the Lord with the deepest uh, longings of my heart. It's too vulnerable. It's too painful. And I think that this is really a picture of how many of us operate in the congregation. You know, there is a sense in which some of us come with the basic needs. Others of us come. Some calamity has come in our life, and there's kind of this obvious need that we have. But many of us, we put on our Sunday best. Uh, we come to church. Uh, we've got our walls. We've got our protections. What can I do for you? I, I'm fine. I dwell among my own people. All is well with me. But we know that deep down we, we have a need. We have a wound that if you speak it, uh, if it is spoken, we say, please don't go there. 
Please don't go there. That, that's too deep for me. And I think that's the thing that I've learned. I've been in the ministry now for over 20 years. And, you know, we all look good on the outside, or a lot of us look good on the outside, some better than others, right? Uh, we look good on the outside, but that doesn't mean we have it all together. A and part of this journey for this woman, as we're going to see, is that God is inviting her to, uh, to trust him at a deeper level, to trust him with those things that might be too painful for us to speak. We'll come back to that. Uh, but just for now, be mindful of that. You know, as you meet people, as you uh, socially distance and, and shake hands and give elbow bumps to people, those types of things, uh, as you do that, Everybody has got a need. Everybody has got something deep in. Maybe it's about your children. Maybe it's a, a longing for children uh, because you never got married or the Lord never blessed you for children. Maybe it's uh, a, a longing for our adult children who are not walking with the Lord uh, and, and they pierce your heart day after day after day. Uh, maybe it's for meaning or fulfillment in, in a job. There are lots of different ways that these deep needs can, can be, but they're there. Now, the next thing I want you to notice, though, is not just that we have needs and we are a diverse group of people, but that God moves to meet them. A and this is, uh, of course, what we need to see in every text, that God is faithful, that he is the great physician who comes into this mixed hospital and he is able to prescribe just what we need. But the first thing I want you to notice under this sort of main point is that he doesn't do it in the same way all the time. Uh, we see that in the way that Elisha interacts with the people. Um, and Elisha does things differently in each of these pericopes. In the, in the last story, the one that Ben read, uh, Elisha is very directive and he tells people what to do. It seems very clear what the people are to do according to the word of God. You know, with this, uh, this pot of meat, um, he has the, the servant go out in the field to gather herbs. He finds this wild vine and gathered a lap uh, full of wild gourds. According to the scholars, there was a gourd that was sort of a lethal laxative. And uh, most people could recognize that. Apparently, this guy didn't slipped it into the stew. It's a little bit like putting X-lax in the, in the brownies. Uh, some of you maybe have pulled that prank at one point in your life, uh, but even worse, it was a lethal laxative. Uh, but Elisha knows what to do, get some flour, uh, and they throw it in the pot, and he says, go ahead and eat it, it's safe, and they are miraculously healed. And then with the farmer who brings the first fruits, Elisha says, you know, give it to the men to eat. And his servant, presumably Gehazi, says, uh, well, how, how can we do this? There's not enough people. So Elisha repeats it. He says, give them to the men that they may eat. And then he intensifies it. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and they shall have some left. Uh, there are times in our life, like in these situations, where the word of God is just very clear. You know, God comes to us and says, don't have sex with somebody who is not your spouse. Uh, the word is very clear in terms of how that works out. There's, there's very little, uh, 
There's very little questioning. We just, we just follow the word of God. Elisha brings the word of God in this way. Uh, there are some times where he is clear. But then there are other times when he invites us along on a journey and he asks us to trust him. So how do we see that? Look in the verse, verses 1 to 7, the passage that Susan read for us. Uh, she, the, the lady, the woman, uh, she says, My servant, your servant, my husband is dead. You know that he feared the Lord. But now this creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves or to be his indentured servants and pay off his debt. And then Elisha says to her, he doesn't, he doesn't come definitively and tell her, do this. He comes to her and says, what shall I do for you? And if you listen closely, you hear hints of Jesus here, right? Jesus was always asking people questions. Like in Luke chapter 18, for instance, he meets uh, the blind beggar on the side of the road. And the beggar cries out, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, exactly the same thing. A and part of this, what we see is that there are times when the word of God comes to us so clear. And there's no question what we are to do. And then there are other times in which God invites us on a journey where he says, I want you to take a look at what you have. What do you have in the house? I have some oil. Okay, I want you to take the oil that you have, the resources that you have, set them before me, and then watch what I do with these things. A and this is one of the things that we are invited to see and that we begin to learn is that uh, God oftentimes works in our lives in the places, in the ways, with the gifts that he has given us. He's put us in neighborhoods. He's put us in families. He's put us in uh, places of employment. A and he says, what do you have? You have these relationships. You have these people. And I have put you in these places, and I have given you to these people because it is for your good. And sometimes, Lord, we, we, we look at him and say, are you sure? Because this is really difficult. Are you sure? Because, uh, you know, these people don't seem to be responding to me. It just seems like it's a bunch of empty vessels. But God says, I want you to keep looking at me. I want you to keep trusting me and watch what I will do. And I, I love the fact that she goes in and she closes the door with her two kids. And the kids get to see the miracle. The kids have watched their dad be taken away. They've felt uh, the threat of the creditor coming, but now they're watching the provision of the Lord. And there's a real invitation for us here to live out our life in front of our children, to give them a front row seat, so to speak, to let them see how the Lord is working in our life. So part of what we see in terms of God meeting our needs is that he meets our needs with what we already have. You know, have you thought about that? You, you feel the neediness in your life. Well, where, what do you have? Where are you? What has God given you? Uh, bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I feel lost and broken. I feel like uh, I'm in need. But here's this thing. I'm just going to be faithful in my music. I'm going to be faithful in my work. I'm going to be faithful in, in my neighborhood. And see if God doesn't bless that and use that to meet an even bigger need. But then there is uh, our Shunammite friend. 
you know, this need that's so deep. Uh, God is taking her on a different journey. And it's a journey where we don't really know where it's going. Do you, you see that, uh, particularly towards the, um, in verse 27, about in that way, uh, she comes to the mountain to the man of God after her son has died. And it's been several years, right? We see that. We don't know exactly how old the, the boy is. He's probably uh, somewhere around eight-ish uh, years old. And, you know, he, he's died. Obviously, this one to whom she's given her heart now, and, and he's died. You can see the pain. Uh, she doesn't share it right away, but she comes to Elisha. Gehazi pushes her away, kind of in a disciple move, right, as the disciples would push away the, the kids that would come to Jesus. Elisha says, no, let her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Uh, I can really relate to Elisha here, uh, just as one who seeks to serve the community of God's people. There are times when you come, and I have no idea what to say. You know, there are, there are some times when the word of God is clear, something to, to give to you. There are other times where, you know, I can ask some questions and, and, and help you maybe see some things that God has in your life. And then there are other times where I feel exactly like Elisha. You know, the Lord has hidden it from me. I, I have no clue what is going on here. I have no clue about the journey that God has you on. But I love what Elisha does. He just goes with her. And, and this is where there's application. You know, it's not just those who are vocationally called to be ministers, but we all share this priesthood of believers, right? The priesthood of all believers. And, and, and we all have the opportunity to go with those who are on a journey that we see no purpose for. We see no light at the end of the tunnel. The Lord has hidden it from us, and, and we do not see. But Elisha goes with her. He goes to her place of pain. He goes to this upper room where her dead son has, is laying out. Elisha enters in. He enters in in prayer. He stretches himself out over the place of pain. He stretches himself out before the Lord, and he seeks the Lord together with this woman, on behalf of this woman, and he said, Lord, we do not know what you are doing, but we are asking that you would meet us here and that you would reveal yourself to us. And this is something, brothers and sisters, that uh, we can offer to one another. Uh, we, we come to these really dark places where uh, it is hidden. The journey that we are on is hidden. We do not know why or where or what the outcome might be that our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ may be on. But we do know that we can go with them. We do know that we can enter in with them to these deep places. And I think that there's something here, too. Some of you are, uh, you know, background, whatever, pain, hurt, previous hurt. Uh, she does invite Elisha. She says, I am not going to let go of you. I am going to stay close to you. She recognizes she makes herself vulnerable in this way. 
And sometimes we have to remember to do that. Uh, some of us are, are not as prone to do that. We've been hurt too many times in the past, and so I'm not going to open myself up to you. Um, but she does. A- and then God meets them in a, in a very, very wonderful way uh, where this child is restored to life and given back to its mother. Now, here's the last thing that I want us to see. We've seen our, our mixed group. We've seen our mixed needs. We've seen that God sort of meets us in, in different ways. But what I want you to see finally is that God always meets us both yesterday, today, and forever. God always meets us uh, with an overflow of grace. A- and this is the way that he's always done it. You know, we, meet the, we read these stories and Maybe right away your mind was firing to 1 Kings 17. You're like, you know, these stories of Elisha where there's oil that doesn't run up and there's a, a son of a, of a woman who is brought back to life. This sounds familiar. You're like, oh, yeah, that happened in Elijah's life. 1 Kings chapter 17, very similar. And then you say, you know, these, these stories of, of rotten meat and these stories of uh, food that doesn't run out These stories sound kind of familiar from Israel's history. And you're like, oh, yeah, those were stories from the wilderness wanderings. You know, the manna that came and the quail that got rotten and all of these different things. So these are stories from Israel's history. Even the idea of a barren woman bearing a child in her old age. In fact, uh, this language that is used here at this year, next time you will have a son is the exact language that God uses when he promises Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, he says that this year, this time next year, you will have a son. And we say, yeah, this is, this is the theme of Genesis. God is always bringing uh, fruitfulness out of barrenness. And what we begin to see as we read scripture, as we see these redemptive themes, these Uh, These recurring themes that happen over and over again, and they tell us about the nature and the character of our God. And, And of course, we see these themes come to full life again in the life of Jesus. And perhaps you thought about that when Elisha gives the bread and it multiplies and it feeds a hundred. You're thinking of the 5,000 and you're thinking of the 400. Even that formula there to all will eat and there will be some left over. That's exactly the formula that is used with Jesus. And then there is this, even a geographic location mark. Shunem is a city that is very close to a New Testament city named Nain. Uh, And some of you will remember what happened at Nain in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we see, we meet a widow uh, who is uh, going out of the town, carrying her only son who was dead. Uh, They were processing out. When Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the beer, the the casket that they were carrying her on, uh, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. You see, it's the same thing. This Jesus enters into a situation, and he touches the beer. Now, the, the casket, what's so significant about that? Well, go back to Elisha. 
Uh, when Elisha stretches himself on the dead boy, you know, what do we say from a Jewish ceremonial perspective? We say Elisha is becoming unclean. In the Jewish ceremonial law, if you come upon a dead body, whether it be a lion or whether it be a person, then you become unclean. But Elisha was willing to become unclean. He was willing to enter into that dark, dark place with his family in order that he might supplicate for life. And in the same way, Jesus was willing to walk up in a town that was in the exact same geographic region uh, as Shunem, as the one who was greater than Elijah or Elisha, and he was willing to touch the casket with this dead boy. He was willing to become unclean in order that that child might have life and that he could give her, him back to his mother. And that's why the people in Nain say a great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. They, they knew the local stories of Elisha, right? And they say, this is it. This is the great prophet who has risen among us. And this is the absolute truth. And this is where we see as people coming to the hospital from all different walks of life that Jesus is the great physician that we are longing for. Because just like Elisha, he has stretched himself out. This time, not over the dead boy, but he stretched himself out on a cross. Uh, and he became sin. He became death. He became the very condemnation that we deserve. He was cast out of the world, so to speak in order that we might gain the world, in order that we might gain life, in order that we might be given back to our Heavenly Father, whole and renewed again, uh, understanding in a very real way that all of our life comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I hope that that is a great encouragement. You know, as we think about this congregation, you know, do you see yourself there? Do you see yourself, you know, in this basic battle for bread or uh, being a victim of some calamitous situation in your life or maybe being protective of a deep, deep place that you are, are wondering, can I offer this to the Lord? You see yourself, but you also see more clearly a God who meets us and, and who, through a variety of ways, sometimes through his direct words, sometimes by leading us along on a journey, helping us to see what he's already given us, sometimes in ways that are so mysterious, uh, but yet so personal, we meet Jesus. We meet Jesus, the one who has finished the work, the one who said, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And we say, yes, I see myself in him. And we rest and we have hope. You know, as we go out into this world, I think hope is the most precious commodity that we as Christians have to offer a world that each day gets less and less hope. You know, each day 
uh, finds that their, their basis for hope is eroding just a little bit more. But we have hope, not in ourselves, but we have hope in the one who comes and meets the community. Do you, do you know him? You know, I love this picture of the, the Shunammite woman at the, at the end. She bows herself before the man of God, so Elisha is representative of God. She bows herself before him in complete surrender because she has learned now that she can trust God, that God knows her deepest needs, that God is able to take away and to give, but that God is good in the end. And she has learned that, and she comes now and she bows before Elisha. And that's the place I'd invite you to be. Uh, bowing before the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater Elisha. He knows the deep places of our hearts. He's gone there for us in order that we might have life. Praise be to him. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its promises. And we ask now uh, that as we uh, find ourselves uh, at your feet, uh, we pray that you would give us all comfort uh, that you would give us all mercy, that you would give us uh, in our wounded, broken spirits, we pray that you would give us uh, the assurance uh, that we belong to you. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.